Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, Crosspoint. This is Rob here, and uh, I am uh, recording in my home office. And the reason why I'm recording today in my home office is uh, this has been a bit of an eventful week in the Chartrand home. Uh, some of Karen's co-workers uh, this, earlier this week tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and so when that happened, uh, Karen and I decided right away that we were going to uh, put her in quarantine. And uh, so she went into self-isolation in her upstairs bedroom. And uh, immediately, uh, within a day or so, she started developing some symptoms, headaches, sore throat, uh, mild fever, um, and today she has a little bit of a dry cough, but um, she's doing well. She actually went in today. She went in for her test swab, and uh, we'll find out the results in the next couple of days. Uh, but we um, thank you for praying for us and uh, uh, for all of your kind thoughts that you've been sending our way as well. Uh, Anyway, um, there's also a good chance that uh, I may be infected if Karen was also infected. Uh, We didn't find out about it until earlier this week, so of course Karen and I just kind of went on with life as normal, but uh, I've also had a really rough couple of days. Um, I had uh, slight fever, I had uh, sore throat, I had a really dry cough um, for a couple of days, and uh, actually just last night I, I had a really incredible sleep. And I feel like I'm on the mend, I'm on the road to recovery, so I'm doing a lot better, which is great because I'm not going to be hacking my way uh, through this message together, although I might have a bit of a dry throat. Anyway, um, thanks to those of you who are concerned. Thanks to those of you who've been praying for us. Uh, We really appreciate that. Uh, But today, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to open with us to the book of Philippians. We're continuing in our series, With Joy from Prison. And uh, this morning, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now, uh, as many of you know, uh, Philippians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and uh, he wrote this letter to a church of people that he was, a group of people he was very familiar with, people he was deeply uh, connected to. In fact, the church in Philippi helped support the Apostle Paul in his ministry as he went about through the Roman Empire, and the Apostle Paul actually helped to plant the church in Philippi as well. So so they were very, very deeply connected to Paul. But now, Paul is writing from a different uh, scenario. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Uh, he's been putting chains for preaching the gospel. Uh, you might say that Paul is under Roman isolation uh, as opposed to self-isolation. So he's chained to the floor. He's got prison guards outside the door. He cannot leave. Uh, he's getting prisoners, uh, uh, people coming to visit him every once in a while. Uh, but he doesn't know the final outcome. There's a very good chance that Paul could actually be uh, killed for his faith in Christ. So he's at a very difficult point in his life. And as I said last week, I think the Apostle Paul has a lot to say to us. We who are locked away in our own homes, uh, socially distanced from other people, fearful or anxious about the future, and have something lurking outside the door um, that we uh, is really beyond our control as well. Now, the, the text we're going to look at this week is, is one of those sections in Philippians that uh, people will often just skim over. Uh, like I said before, uh, the book of Philippians is a well-loved book. A lot of uh, 
meaningful passages of scripture are found in the book of Philippians. I mean, these are things that we would put on t-shirts or coffee mugs or even tattoo on our bodies, right? And so sometimes as we read Philippians, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll read this really great section and then we'll want to move on to another section in the book of Philippians. And sometimes there's these, these little verses that are in there that we kind of look at and we kind of skim over and we ignore them as we get from section to section. Well, today's text is one of those sections in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. But we're not going to skip over the text. And actually, I think what we're going to find is that these three verses, these three small verses, have a lot to say us in our current situation uh, today as we are under house arrest uh, under COVID-19. So I'm going to read the text, and I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to continue exploring what the text has to say to us. So here's what it says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Suntuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And thank you that your word is as relevant today as it was in the first day when it was written. And God, would you speak to us today through your word? Would you encourage us? Would you spur us on? God, uh, thank you that you are not far off and you are very, very near to us wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves today. And so, Lord, uh, we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. And we pray. Amen. Amen. Anyway, hey, thanks for joining me in my house as I speak to you uh, in, in your house today. Now, Paul is, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi during a, a very growing crisis. Um, as you might know, is, is that uh, some of the more devout Jewish sects at this time uh, in, in history had begun to persecute the church. And there was a growing sense of animosity within the Roman Empire about Christians. So Christians were a pretty unpopular group, but this tension was growing and mounting uh, at this time in the Roman Empire. Um, in just a couple of years, actually, the Great Fire in Rome would happen. Nero, the crazy emperor Nero, would, would blame Christians and would say that they're responsible for the fire. And as a result of that, the first empire-sanctioned persecution against Christians would take place. So this is just a couple of years down the road. So you can imagine the tension that is happening in the Roman Empire up to this point. So the Christians who are in Rome are experiencing this, but also the Christians who are back in Philippi are starting to experience this as well. So there's mounting crisis happening. And, and I think it's fair to say that we live in a time of mounting crisis. I mean, uh, the world as we know it, just in the last couple of weeks, has, has just ground to a halt. COVID-19 has, has begun to spread across our planet. It's making people sick. It's, it's taking lives. And meanwhile, our, our, our economy has, has just been decimated. People are worried. Um, people are scared. Uh, people are even being reactionary in some different parts of the world. So the question is, what would God say to us in this time of crisis? Well, I, I believe that God would say to us what God said to the Philippians over 2,000 years ago. And it's found in verse 1. Here's what I think God would say to us. He would say to us, the people of God, stand firm. No matter what happens, no matter what's happening all around you, no matter what is coming towards you in the midst of all of this, stand firm. But even more, of it, more than that, I mean, you, you can't just stand firm 
by yourself. God would even say to us, not just stand firm, but stand firm together. See, Paul, he's, he's not writing to a bunch of individuals, is he? He's writing to a church community. Um, you know, all of, all of the verbs that are there are, are in plural form. He, he's speaking to people in the, in, the, in the plural sense. I mean, he's not saying uh, brothers stand firm. He's saying brothers stand firm. He's speaking to a community of people. Um, so that means he wants them to not just stand as individuals, but he's saying stand firm together. See, here's the thing. Is, is, is Philippi was actually a Roman colony, and it was full of veteran Roman soldiers. Uh, they understood pretty much intuitively what Paul meant when he said to stand firm. See, you, you might say that they were all too familiar with Roman warfare. Many of them uh, had stood shoulder to shoulder together in Caesar's armies because, in fact, uh, Philippi was a Roman colony and it was full of veteran Roman soldiers, right? So uh, the might and the power of Roman armies, I mean, they were famous throughout the entire world. Uh, the, the Roman legions, each of the Roman legions uh, consisted of three rows of soldiers at the front, right? And each of these soldiers at the front would have been given a shield, they would have had a sword, right? And this was part of the, the might and the power and the tactics beh behind the Roman legions and the Roman armies. Uh, so the row of shields that, that, that existed there, between each of the shields, there was somebody behind you who also had a shield, and between the gap of those behind them, they actually had a shield. And it was actually pretty genius the way they did this. So. Each line of defense was supported behind them by the other line of defense. So if a, one row got tired, they could step back. Another row could step to the front. Um, so the Roman armies were, were really brilliant. But the way that it worked was they actually all had to stand together. Every soldier who was standing in line mattered. So you may have heard the term before, hold the line. Well, this really very much applied to the Roman army because it means that the soldiers needed to stand together and not break formation. Because here's the thing, if, if one person in that line broke formation, if one person in that line didn't stand with everybody else, what happened is that it would create a gap in the formation. And if there was a gap there, then the armies could, that they're coming against them could press through that gap. They could come up and they could flank then the Roman armies, or they could come behind and attack them from behind, which meant they had no shield defense. So it was really critical, it was really important that everybody in that line would stand firm, that they would stand together on the line. Everybody mattered. Um, and this is the idea of what Paul seems to be saying, is that every one of us has to stand firm together. We all have to hold the line. Each and every one of us actually has a part to play. Now, the challenge is, we in the Western world, we're, we're very individualistic, aren't we? I mean, we idolize self-made people. We celebrate self-identity and, and radical autonomy. Uh, we like to say, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think. You know, what matters is just what you think. You do you. You know, speak your truth. Be all you can be. Well, the thing about COVID-19 is it's really tested the limits of our, our deep sense of independence and radical self-autonomy. If anything, COVID-19 has shown us that we actually need each other. We actually need other people. And as it turns out, God actually designed us this way. God designed us to be interdependent and not just independent. See, the thing of it is, is, is we were created in the image of God. And God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is within himself, perfect community throughout all of eternity. He is 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, this beautiful tapestry of three persons living and working together. And the thing of it is, we are made in the image of God. When God created human beings, he created us in the image of God, which means that we were created for community. That's how we reflect the image of God to the world. And that's why God said in the garden when he created man, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. So we were, we were never made to be independent. We were actually made to be interdependent. We are communal creatures. So as church, as Christians, I mean, we were never intended to be a group of people that just kind of show up independently uh, in a crowd to sing some songs, to listen to a good TED Talk, and then to exit quickly and go out for Christian chicken. No, we are so much more than that. As we reflect the image of God in the world, we are his community reflecting the image of the communal God to everybody else. So the question then is this, is, is how do we, the people of God, stand together? Well, this is what I want to focus our hearts and our minds on in today's talk. And I want to consider three lessons from Paul's, uh, from the, the Apostle Paul about what it means to stand together. Here's the first lesson. Number one, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Listen, when you are in a battle, where you stand matters. It makes a difference, right? So it is hard to fight when you're standing on unstable ground or slippery ground. An army will have an advantage or it will have a disadvantage depending on where that army stands. So uh, if you stand uphill from your opponent, you have a tremendous advantage against them. If, if you stand beside a rock formation that's beside you, that rock formation is going to protect your flank so you have an advantage. If you stand with your back to the ocean, you have a disadvantage because your army can't maneuver then. You're kind of trapped against that water, right? So, so where you stand matters. Well, Paul says that we are to stand together in the Lord. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he's actually referring to what he just wrote before this. And, and, and the way we, reason we know that is, is if you look at the very beginning of verse 1, he says, therefore, right? That therefore is a clue, because as, as many Bible interpreters would say, if there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. In other words, look to what was written just before it. Well, if we look to what was just written before, we understand what Paul is talking about when he says to stand firm or stand firm in the Lord. In other words, you have to look at what came just before. What came just before? Well, Paul has been talking about throughout chapter 3 about the immeasurable worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, you know what, nothing compares to it. Nothing measures up to it. It's like a candle compared to the sun. Nothing is like knowing Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is knowable. He's personal. He's relational. You can enter into a relationship with the living God. And there's nothing else quite like it. And Paul says that because we put our hope in him, then because of that, we can have certainty. We can have certainty no matter what happens. This is the firm ground that we stand on. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's the famous hymn that we often sing. And I think in times like these, it, it is a great comfort to know Christ Jesus. I mean, we can turn to him in prayer. Uh, we can lean on him in crisis. And we have every confidence as believers in Christ that no matter what happens, we know that ultimately God is working for the good. And one day, Christ will return and he will fix everything. And so we stand firm in the Lord. And we can say with confidence, just as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. Let me read it for you, starting at verse 37. 
He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we stand in the Lord together, we can have great confidence. And so I, I wondered today, do you know Christ? I mean, I have to imagine that, that there are some of you today out there who are, who are very fearful. You're worried about what's coming. Uh, you're maybe anxious about work or bills or the future. And there's some of you might even be scared. You might be scared about sickness. And you might be scared about death. Let me say today, to you today this. There is a, there's a tremendous peace and confidence that comes with knowing Christ Jesus. And Christ is knowable. How do you know Christ? How can you come to know him? Well, ultimately, it comes by uh, trusting him to save you and surrendering your life to him. See, what, what keeps us from God is our unwillingness to let God lead our lives. That's what the Bible refers to as sin. And sin is a big obstacle between us and God. Um, and because of sin, we can't come to know God in a personal relationship. But that's why God sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the world to deal with the sin problem we have. So Christ came into the world. He took our sin upon himself. He took it to the cross, and it was nailed there with him. And so the Bible promises that when we put our complete trust in Christ, when we surrender our lives to him, he forgives us our sin, and he gives us a new beginning. He gives us a new life in Christ. And when we have that new life in Christ, we can begin to have a relationship with him. And that's how we do it. It's by surrendering our lives to Christ, by putting our complete trust, not in what we do, but in what he did on our behalf. And for you today, as, as you're looking for confidence in this season, I wonder, uh, have, do you know Christ? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? It's really quite simple to do. You just simply turn to him in prayer. You confess your sins. You turn from them. You receive his free gift of salvation, and you begin that relationship with him. And I hope you do that today. Well, let me talk about the second lesson that we gather from uh, Paul's text here. It's this. It's don't stand divided. You know, in verse 2, you, you'll notice that Paul addresses two women, Euodia and Suntuke. And they obviously aren't getting along. They're in this personal dispute, and, and everybody kind of is aware that this dispute is going on, because otherwise Paul wouldn't bring it up in the letter, right? Uh, now, we're not really sure who these two women are, uh, and it's probably because this is the only place in Scripture where their names actually appear. But what we do know is they probably had a prominent place in the church community because everybody was aware of this conflict, and Paul wouldn't address someone who wasn't really part of the community. He's addressing them head-on in the letter. And here's the thing. When private problems become public problems, they have a tremendous potential of splitting the church. And this is probably why Paul addressed it in the letter. It reminds me of the words in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know, sometimes people do things uh, that upset us or that make us angry. And, and when we hold those things inside, what that often leads to is, is bitterness. Bitterness is, is anger that's, that's kind of stretched out over time. And, and when two people are bitter, what they tend to do is they tend to tell other people about it. And so as a result of that, rumors start to fly, opinions start to spread, kind of like a, a bad virus, right? Sides are sometimes drawn. And then a very personal problem then becomes a very public problem. You know, a great way to destroy an army is just to allow it to destroy itself from within. 
if you can just get everybody to forget the battle that's before them and start fighting amongst themselves, you will see that army fall apart. And you know what? History has played this out time and time again, how wars have been lost, not by what happened out on the front lines, but actually what happened internally. This has actually been the enemy's tactic against the church for the last couple of hundred of years. And, and this was actually the point that Jesus made when his adversaries accused him of doing good, but doing good through the power of evil. Here's what he said in Mark chapter 3. Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Here's the thing. You cannot stand together while you are still divided. And, and here's the thing, friends, about being in a crisis. A crisis tends to magnify problems. Um, small and insignificant issues become way larger than they actually are. Sometimes you, you end up fighting with somebody, not because there's actually a real problem, but just because you're stressed out. Stress, uh, crises, tends to magnify problems. Listen, in, in these days ahead, we're all going to be facing pressures. We're all going to be facing stresses. Conflicts are inevitable. Conflicts will surely arise. But we cannot allow these conflicts to divide us. Because division, the thing about division is it's only going to tear us apart. We cannot stand if we're divided. Um, some of you might remember the uh, TV series Lost that aired a number of years ago. Some of you maybe were too young to remember, which is crazy when I think about it. Um, so it's this fictional story how Flight Oceanic 815 crashed somewhere in the South Pacific and a couple of dozen people ended up on stranded on a deserted tropical island. And, and they were there just a few days. And just after a few days, things kind of started to fall apart. I mean, some people just didn't really care. They were indifferent. Other people started hoarding. And then other people started bickering and then even started fighting. So it's in the midst of this fray that Jack, the self-appointed leader, kind of steps up to the bat and he says, you know what, guys, we got to fix this. And he gives one of his speeches, uh, probably the most uh, well-remembered speech throughout the entire Lost series, and it's often quoted. And I just want to read what Jack had to say to those people. He says, it's been six days and we're all still waiting, waiting for someone to come. But what if they don't? We have to stop waiting. We need to start figuring things out. We can't do this. Every man for himself is not going to work. It's time to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. Last week, most of us were strangers, but we're all here now, and God knows how long we're going to be here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. Now, of course, from this speech uh, emerged probably the most famous mantra of the entire life's uh, Lost series, which is live together, die alone. And I think it just reinforces what we've just been talking about, is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. We cannot stand together if we're divided. And, and so because of this, Paul entreats uh, Yodia and uh, Suntuke, and he says, he, you know, he says to them, he appeals to them, he, he pleads with them, and he says, you need to agree in the Lord. Now, it's interesting, that word agree, we might just think about it and think, oh, he means they just need to get along. But it's actually far more important than that. It's far more significant than that. Uh, the word agree actually has a very prominent place in the book of Philippians. The, the Greek word, pronine, actually shows up 10 times in the letter. And that's actually pretty significant because it only occurs 26 times in the entire Bible. So how, almost half of the times it occurs is actually in the book of Philippians. What that means is, this is a big theme for the letter. This is a big deal. So when he says to them, agree in the Lord, it has a lot more meaning. Uh, the word actually means to think. It means to form an opinion. It means to set one's mind on. 
So Paul is saying to them, he's saying, ladies, you, you, you need to set your mind on the same thing and not just on anything. He says, I want you to agree in the Lord. So he wants them to have ultimately the same mind in the Lord, which is actually a throwback to what she's written earlier in the letter. You might recall what, what Paul wrote in chapter 2. Here's what, here's what he writes, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, pronoun, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, pronoun, okay? And then he, in verse 5 he says this, he says, have this mind, there's that verb again, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, so when Paul is saying to them, you need to agree in the Lord, what he's saying is you need to have the same mind as Christ. If you want to figure things out, you have to think and you have to act like Jesus. And what was Christ's attitude? Well, Philippians chapter 2, Paul has this beautiful poem there where he kind of spells all of that out. Jesus didn't look to his own needs. For Jesus, it wasn't all about him. It rather, in fact, it was about others. So Jesus was other-centered. He wasn't just self-centered. And Jesus emptied himself, and ultimately Jesus sacrificed himself. This was the posture of humility that Jesus had. And so Paul's saying, listen, if, if two people can come together and they both have the mind of Christ where they're selfish and, and selfless and they're sacrificial and they don't have any personal agendas, then they can solve pretty much every problem. They can agree together in the Lord. So if we're going to stand together, we have to have the mind of Christ. And I, and I think in the days ahead, what this world is going to need, it is going to need a people who have the mind of Christ, who lived like Jesus lived, who served like Jesus served, whose posture was not just self-centered, but was other-centered. Well, here's the final lesson. Uh, it's this. It's help others stand together. What I love about this text uh, is that Paul actually doesn't take sides in the conflict. I don't know if you noticed that there. I mean, he doesn't say, I side with this person, this person's right, this person's wrong. Instead, what he does is he makes it their responsibility, which is completely consistent with the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, when he talks about conflict resolution. If someone wrongs you, Jesus says, you go to them first and you figure it out together. So don't talk about it with others. Don't spread it around. Don't get other people's opinions. Don't share it with your prayer group to figure out, okay? If they're not part of the problem, then they're not part of the solution. You go out together and you work out the problem. Now, the only thing is, is that sometimes people have great difficulty resolving conflicts. Uh, sometimes they, they've got a long list of grievances that's like 10 years long, or, or they're playing the game of he said and she said, and they can't actually remember who said, right? And you've, you've been in those types of conflicts before. This actually something sometimes happens in the wild kingdom. Uh, sometimes two animals, two bucks, will get into a fight, right? And, and it gets so intense and they get so embroiled that their horns actually get locked together, right? And, and essentially they can't get loose from each other. They're so locked together and they ine inevitably end up dying together. This ha happens often in the wild. So the only way they can actually get free when their horns are locked is if somebody comes along and helps them out. So sometimes we need help in our conflicts, in, in getting our horns untied from somebody else. So this is why Paul reaches out to the person who he refers to as his true companion to help them out. Again, we don't know who this person was. Uh, it's, it's a very good chance that this person was a leader in the church, and of course everybody would expect it, that this would be the person to step in. Or it could have been one of Paul's um, itinerant traveling companions who was in uh, Philippi at the time, who was in a, a kind of a temporary leadership role. 
We don't know who this person is, but what we know is that it was somebody who everybody thought should step in and help. So if Yodia and Suntuke couldn't figure it out, Paul's saying somebody has to step in. Somebody has to help them get their horns unlocked. Now all of this, I think, raises the question. Am I at all responsible for helping people solve their problems? I mean, I mean, if two people can't get along, I, I think our, our modern impulse today, being highly individualistic, is just to say, well, that's up to them. You know, they're just going to have to figure it out. It's not my responsibility. I'm just going to kind of sit back, watch, and eat popcorn and see how it plays out. And, and that, that would be true if you lived in the West because you're, it's spoken like a truly independent, individualistic kind of thinker. But the truth is, is that as believers in Christ, we are all interconnected through our union with Christ. So we're not just individuals. We're actually part of a body. We're part of a priesthood. We're part of a family. We all have the same spirit of God who dwells in us. We all have union together with Christ. And, and I love how Paul reminds them of this in the text. Uh, notice what he says at the very end of verse 3. He says this. He says, their names are in the book of life. Well, what is this book of life? Well, the only other place in the New Testament where it talks about the book of life is actually in the book of Revelation. And it refers to it a number of times. And sometimes it even refers to it as the Lamb's book of life. So this, this is a book that lists, essentially, all of the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's all those people who have surrendered their lives to him. Believers in Christ, disciples of Jesus. And, and what we know is that at the final judgment, when Jesus returns, those whose names are written in the book of life are those who will spend an eternity with him in new resurrected bodies in the new heaven and new earth. And God will dwell with them forever. They're the people of God. And the point I think Paul is making to those two women is just simply this. Look, look, you're in the same book together. You're going to be spending all of eternity together as the people of God. Surely, surely you can figure this stuff out right now. Listen, if you were a soldier on the front lines of the Roman army, right? Imagine you're there. You're there with your shield. You're there with your sword. And somewhere down the line from you, two, or two soldiers are fighting with each other. And they can't get along. They're bickering. They're hollering. They're swinging their swords at each other. What would you do if you were on that front line and the enemy is approaching? Well, I think you would probably march on down to them and give them a whop on the side of the head. And you say, guys, you've got to figure this out. Get your stuff together. Because there is a common enemy, a common army that's coming towards us. And it's far more important than your petty squabbles. So think straight, get your heads on right, and get it together and figure it out. And that's, I think, the illustration that uh, Paul is trying to play out here. Um, we've got to, we've got to stand together. So what this means for all of us is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. And we're all responsible to help each other stand together because we're all interconnected. Our names are together in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, in, in these past several days, while, while Karen and I have uh, been here under house arrest, I've really marveled at those of you who've come alongside and has helped us out. Um, I mean, we've had both of our small groups uh, praying for us, encouraging us, offering to do grocery runs for us. We've, we've received care packages, people dropping off stuff. 
Uh, friends have been calling us just out of the blue just to talk. And, and that's part of being that interconnected family that helps you to stand together. Uh, I've also heard so many stories of you who are reaching out to, to other people within the Crosspoint community or within the faith community, reaching out to neighbors who are in need, uh, caring for them, dropping off stuff. And, and I just want to say to you, for those of you who are doing that, those of you who are being the hands and feet of voice of Jesus, way to go. Keep doing that. Keep having the mind of Christ. Keep living as, as Jesus lived. And, and of course, Crosspoint, you know that we've, uh, we've been trying to reach out to you. We've... Uh, Everybody who's in our database, we're trying to connect with you on the phone and just see how you're doing, find out how we can pray for you, uh, because we think it's so important in this season that we're in that we stand together as the people of God. Because here's the thing, it, it is up to each and every one of us to stand together. It's not just somebody else's um, responsibility, it's actually my responsibility and it's your responsibility as those who are part of the people of God. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. And if there's ever a time in our lives where we need to reach out to others, it's today. This is the time for the church to be the people of God, to be those with the mind of Christ, to be those who live like Christ. So Crosspoint, my, my, urgency, uh, my urgent message for you today is to stand firm in the Lord, but to stand firm together, to not let things tear us apart, okay? and to be responsible for helping other people to stand. So let's stand together. Can you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you stood for us, and that uh, when we put our faith and our trust in you, Lord, we can have something firm to stand on. Thank you, Lord, that you stand beside us, Lord, in the gap as we face a, a common crisis together. Thank you that we can trust in you. Lord, we pray that you would um, help those among us who are struggling with anxiety and uncertainty and fear. Thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love and power and sound mind. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would put our entire faith and trust in you, that we would press into you in relationship. And as we do that, Lord, you would give us confidence in the days ahead. For those who are sick in our community and sick in our church family, God, we pray for your protection. We pray for your healing. We pray for peace that passes all understanding. And Lord Jesus, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks that in the midst of shifting sands and in the midst of uncertain ground, that you are there with us and we can put our trust in you. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Crosspoint, we want to give you an opportunity to pray together in community with other Crosspointers all across the city today um, who are watching and, and joining with us here online. And so we want to give you a chance to do that. And so we're going to, we're going to show a video in a few minutes, and uh, well, in just a minute, and uh, we're going to list a, a number of things that we can pray for together in community. And so I want to encourage you to do this. I wonder if one or two people, where you're at right now, maybe look around the room and, and point to somebody and say, yeah, yeah, you do this. Uh, but if one or two of you uh, could, could be the person to pray uh, for and with us um, as we put up these prayer requests together. I just think it's so important that this isn't just something you watch, but rather this is something that we participate in together in community. So we want to pray, believing together that God hears us, he listens, he's for us, and every promise is yes in Christ Jesus. 
So let's turn our hearts to him in prayer together. I'll give you a moment to do that, uh, a few minutes to do that, and then I'll come and I'll close the gathering together. Let's pray. Well, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God. You are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Thanks for joining with us this morning, Crosspoint. We love you. God loves you more. 
And we pray that you would know Christ and that you would seek him wholly during this time. God bless and have a great week. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.